today we are talking about what was actually a kind of low-key announcement. Apple quietly announced the M2 MacBook Pro. And I mean, this is huge news to me and any other creative professionals out there. If you work with photo or video, you're probably using a MacBook Pro right now. The M1 Max has been the best machine I've ever worked with. So seeing an update to that is a big deal. And then we also had the M2 Mac Minis which are a big deal uh, for quite a few reasons, not to least of all the price, but um, th there's a lot to talk about here. We're gonna go uh, into great detail. Um, very excited about these guests. They both work at Apple. They've been using Apple computers since before the Mac was around, as you'll hear. We've got Doug Brooks from Mac Product Marketing and Kate Bergeron, who's the VP of Hardware Engineering. So both of these people really know these computers inside and out, and we go, into a lot of cool behind the scenes stuff about their thought process in designing them and how we got these new MacBook Pros. So without any further ado, here's the interview. All right, well, Kate and Doug, I really appreciate you guys coming on here and congratulations on a huge week, a big surprise to a lot of us. Um, again, uh, congrats on the M2 Max. Thank you. We're almost as excited as you, no more excited than you yeah. are. <laughs> the teams have been working really hard. So it's, it's wonderful to get these products out and see what our customers are going to be doing with them. Yeah. And I mean, it's been a huge couple of years for everybody, especially the, the kinds of people that listen to this, sh this show are really the ones that are going to be using this as far as it can go. I mean, um, I think we're kind of at a point where a lot of people can do a lot on some of the more baseline Apple Silicon computers like the the M1s have been incredible for so many people. But those of us out here that appreciate the faster Pro and, and Max processes that are out there, well, they're definitely the ones listening here. So hopefully we can go into a bit of what like creators that really push their hardware um, are going to need and get out of this. And first, I just kind of wanted to to ask about you guys, like how your first experiences with the Macintosh got started. Um, like, what was it like early on when you first used Apple computers? <laughs> I, I was going to ask you, can I go all the way back? Because it actually starts with Apple II. <laughs> of course. So even before Mac, it was like our first computer at home was an Apple II Plus. But for me, uh, a Mac arrived, well, maybe arrived, or was carried into uh, my college dorm room, and that was my first Mac, a two floppy drive Mac SE with a whopping 20 megabyte hard drive that was the same footprint as the computer. And of course, the first thing I did being a mechanical engineer in year two was get rid of that and get a even bigger 100 megabyte hard drive and install it on the inside of the computer. And we thought that that was like the bee's knees back then. But I've been a Mac fan for a long, long time and using the products as well. Yeah, and my story is actually ironically very similar. I actually, Kate, I didn't even go back to the Apple II Plus. I did as well. It was my first first computer. Um, but my Mac days really started deeply with uh, my, my college computer, mm -hmm. which was I was very fortunate to have a Mac 2CX. Mm. Um, at the time, I worked at a computer dealer, and um, Apple had an amazing own a Mac program for employees uh, through the dealership, and I was able to purchase uh, that system for uh, for college. And it served me really well uh, for, through all my tasks, and you know, there's nothing like it at the time. So, um, yeah, definitely, definitely an early Mac adopter. Right. Yeah. No, that's that's amazing. I mean, I can only imagine the excitement of the Mac transition from that perspective. Like, I always feel like I'm a longtime Mac user, going back to the PowerPC days. Um, but uh, like, you know, you, you guys have seen even more growth than that. But uh, I mean, just to share my side of it, what was really exciting to me back then is that. I, I, you know, I didn't have a creative hobby at the time. I wasn't doing photography or anything, but there was RCA inputs on the back of it. So mm. it meant I could plug in my camcorder 
and capture digital images, which I didn't know anybody else that was doing that at the time. And it was because of the hardware that I was able to do that. And that's really how I first started making time lapses and stuff, because my Mac happened to have these rare ports that not many uh, computers had out there. Um, and yeah, ever since I've been shooting videos and taking photos and uh, Apple's been there the whole way. So we're obviously at a, in a very different era now. We've got um, some very performant new M2s that are uh, available. Um, there's the M2 Max uh, and the M2 Pro. Um, but from your guys' perspective, developing these machines, uh, I'm curious, like, how do professional workflows interact with your design decisions? Um, like, the, just, you know, you guys have some awareness of what pros like us are doing. What's that workflow like to kind of determine how to optimize for it? I mean, I think we're so fortunate to have such amazing customers, such a diverse customer base who's you know, very willing to give us feedback. Um, and so we've always learned so much from how our customers use our products. But I think one of the most tangible uh, examples over the last couple of years has been our investment in the Pro Workflow team, where we've actually been able to um, bring creatives in-house under our hardware engineering organization to um, you know, help really direct um, you know, performance targets and really meaningful um, performance gains in the context of a creative. Um, the story is always, always like to tell, um, you know, if I say, hey, something's 30% faster, that may or may not be meaningful to you. But if I, I say now as a video creator, perhaps, now you can play 24 frames per second of a raw video codec in real time. Like that's a, all of a sudden from a can't do it to a can do kind of a situation. So to really bring performance uh, in, in the context of creative workflows has been so, so powerful. And I think Doug's right now, because that's an internal group to us, we can literally sit down with those folks and dig into, you know, these meaningful metrics, understanding what the trade-off means to the overall system design and, and talk about how we want to maximize those types of performance. So it's, it's nice to have that all in-house now. And to be able to pair a real computer science, you know, deep computer science, performance optimization people with creatives, um, you know, there might be something in a workflow where, you know, something is just a tiny bit slower or a dialogue pops up all the time that really interferes with your creative flow. And to be able to go deep code inspection and go figure out what's happening at that moment in time um, is so powerful. Like right then and there, what just happened? Let's go figure it out. It's just awe-inspiring when, when those moments happen. Yeah, I found it even interesting as a uh, reviewer, as somebody that's going to test these computers and tell people how they perform. We got to a point really as the M1s were released where the basics were just handled. It was, it was it's kind of stopped being a question. Some of the simple benchmarks that we used to come to of like, does it play back? <laughs> you know, what's the export time like? And those things just got so excellent that the questions had to kind of be, you know, moved up. It's like, how does, you know, when, when am I waiting for a dialogue box? Like, can I start to apply noise removal that was so painful before? I mean, that'll be the one that I, I, I think about more and more lately is noise removal, actually, because it's so intensive, but now it starts to be an option. So um, I think that's really interesting. So uh, in, in my use case, recently, I was traveling for a few weeks. I was in Asia in an area I'd never been to before, the furthest I'd ever been from home. And I had some very light uh, packing requirements. I couldn't bring much in my bag. So obviously, I got all the cameras and batteries and all that. So I decided to bring the MacBook air as well. And, um, you know, I feel like I'm a pretty demanding user, like I'm editing large multicam 4k files and pushing it pretty hard, but the MacBook air was able 
to handle all of that. So, uh, I mean, how do you guys think about the way that creative workflows have shifted as these specs have changed and sort of the abilities of all the machines have changed out there? Yeah, I mean, you probably saw in some of the press release when we compared to especially Intel laptops, these machines are stunning, right? All the way from the MacBook Air up to the top of the spectrum of the most powerful MacBook Pros. It's just crushing what we all were able to do in the past, right? So it just sets a whole new benchmark for what's available to you, especially when you're traveling. Like you said, you you can make a choice where in a particular instance, you want to carry the three-pound notebook because that's all you can handle and not worry about not being able to do your work. And so I think about it as like workloads that we used to think were going to take hours now, even on our you know entry-level uh, system, they're in, they're done in minutes or in some cases seconds, and that snappiness and responsiveness is something that we're always considering uh, all the way up up the line. And you know, one of the things that you hear us talk about is the opportunity that the unified memory architecture affords us. You know, going from M2's bandwidth doubling for M2 Pro and then M2 Max, and that that's really uh, you know sort of a special thing for Apple, and it brings that performance all the way across the lineup. Um, and so I think about it this way, right? Now having this sort of power at our fingertips and, and with affordability of something like an Air, almost anyone can have a laptop in their hands. And then that allows pretty much everybody to become a creative. And maybe they're not a creative pro, but that now they can become a creative amateur. And all of these new experiences and opportunities open up that just weren't even something that they could do before. I also think the, 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 you know, kind of consumer expectations have been raised, right? Now I carry a, a phone in my pocket that's shooting 48 megapixel raw images, can shoot ProRes video. And as, as, you know, even when I'm just out taking, you know, candids, I get these gorgeous images that I have the performance, even in our entry-level machines, just to whip through as if it's nothing, um, which is just the, the experience that you want. Everything's fast and fluid, and um, it's, it's, I think, just really empowering. Yeah, I think that's an interesting way to think about it, especially the the, the forty eight megapixel files. I mean, until recently, it, it was only you know people like me that would have a reason to spend four or five thousand dollars on a large sensor camera that are going to end up with raw files that are that large. Like no nobody else would have a reason to have them or would end up working on them. But now, obviously, a, a lot more people in the world have that in their pocket, and not to mention four K, which you know happened a little while ago. But um, I think we're still living in that era of like. Uh, I still remember when 1080 uh, actually, you know, took up all of my uh, CPU and GPU. So <laughs> I'm, I still get excited by what I can, I can now work with for 4K. Um, how do you guys think about that relationship during development of the maybe you know more like hobbyist creator people that are just getting into it and uh, versus like people that are really pushing these machines to the limits? Like, what's that interaction like? Um, you know, how do you think of each sort of group of users? Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think, again, I think we're, we're so fortunate to have such amazing customers that really can push these limits. And, you know, I'm, I get really inspired when, when you hear about um, how our machines have empowered creatives to do something really unique in the field. Um, I was talking to a colleague just recently about um, a customer in Europe who, you know, uh, he, he, he shoots and, and edits uh, video for major concert tours, right? Um, some of the biggest names that you know you'd know if you could rattle them off, but you know to, to think he's shooting you know multi multi cam 8K HDR footage and editing the back of a tour bus or in a hotel room on a MacBook Pro with the amazing display that these things have and trusting it from a reference quality delivery, 
is 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 pretty mind-boggling and and you know we talk about the performance and tend to think about cpu and gpu and things of that nature but um you know one of the things i get most excited about is just the visual quality of the display of, of macbook pro for example um so to hear about you know a pro delivering hdr footage right off a macbook pro is, is pretty cool um another one i just recently heard was a uh, uh, um uh, a um uh, audio uh, professional who was uh, um, uh, scoring a, a major feature film and being able to on a plane mix Dolby Atmos in Logic uh, all on battery on his MacBook Pro and a pair of iPod, AirPods Max was uh, was pretty incredible. So um, you know, really, these customers who are, who are really pushing the boundaries of what can that can do and really tapping into the core product features is, is pretty amazing. The things we think about, and Doug and I were talking about this yesterday, and he referenced it, like the better together opportunities, right? We have a 12.9-inch iPad with an amazing display, which can be a reference display in the field and work together with a MacBook Pro and provide, honestly, this amazing you know, mobile studio or for someone shooting photographs, like an opportunity to do all this editing in locations that in the past just wouldn't have been feasible at all. Yeah, I think that's almost under underappreciated. Like, obviously, the displays are very praised, and everybody acknowledges that. Like, they bo- they made some leaps forward recently, but even before that, um, I find typically Apple displays are the often the benchmark. I mean, I, I, uh, even having iPhones on set, anytime I'm on a photo or video set, most of the other creatives there are all using iPhones, and. A big part of that, it's not just the OS, and it's just not not just that they work well, but it's this like this is the expectation of what your images are going to look like. Being able to reference it on an iPad, an iPhone, or a, a MacBook, I think is a huge part of it. And um, I also think a bit of a differentiation if anybody is trying to figure out between, say, a MacBook Air that maybe they could do all the editing they need, but it's some of those display things that those are really appreciated in professional contexts. Like it's, it's really an incredible uh, display that you put in there. Um, one, one thing that I think has been a big part of this, um, the jump lately. And again, I talk, I think about so much of this from the context of trying to review it, because like I say, it's checking all the boxes so well that I got I got to find new ways to push it. And uh, one thing I love about that is it means that there's often performance headroom in the machines, which I, I try to recommend to anybody purchasing anything, whether it's a camera or computer, that they're going to make sure that it can do a, a little bit more than what they're trying to do all the time. Otherwise, they're going to start running into those um, restrictions, and like you know that they will their their creation will be restricted by the the hardware, which isn't what you want. And now I find a lot of these have headroom. Um, have you found any interesting use cases for that, or do you have any kind of anecdotes about anybody that's been able to? push things further than they were before? I mean, I have my own stories, but I'm sure you've heard some too. And I think one of the real big advantages of, of, of our Apple Silicon platform is uh, the unified memory architecture and how it really lets um, you know some of the powerful pro apps tap into larger memory than are even available on, on most, even desktop class GPUs. So to be able to do things like um, you know, visual effects and simulations on set um, so that you can literally see the the end result on set. So you know maybe you can make adjustments during filming. So you have to go back and do retakes. You know stories like that are, are again really inspiring. That um, you know how it how it makes the production more efficient and able to, to deliver capabilities uh, in the moment. Yeah, I've seen those demonstrations of the massive 3D projects that can all be held in active memory that just couldn't happen before or still can't happen on uh, you know, on non-Apple machines because there's just not that much memory available. 
Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think it's one of the unique aspects of our, our platform. And so when we look, you know, with, with these recent announcements, being able to bring out 96 gigabytes of memory, you might wonder, well, who needs that? And believe it or not, there are actually people who, who do these assets of this size and capability um, that, that really can tap directly into that. Um, or maybe you're, you're just like me where you're kind of like a massive multitasker and have 20 apps open with big documents going <laughs> simultaneously. Yes, that certainly guilty. helps yeah. there as well. <laughs> um, and speaking of the SOC, um, there, you, for a while now, Apple's been really moving things forward with the neural engine. You know, it was, it was kind of a focus before, uh, you know, regular folks really knew what they might be using it for in the future. Um, and I think gradually we're, we're finding those uses more and more. But I guess first off, can you just kind of g- give me a rundown of what the neural engine is and what it does and how it's improved with the M2 processors? Sure. So I think... I think of it, you know, for for folks who aren't into chip design, of it's a specialized area of the chip that is really optimized for doing AI and ML workloads. And so, you know, what does that mean? Big data sets doing computation locally in the most efficient manner for those types of workloads. And then also there's a privacy aspect to it, right, that some of these things formerly had to be done in the cloud, and so you'd be transferring that data off your machine, which is both less secure and obviously uh, slower. So by bringing that into the chips and sort of building on what we had with the Abionic series and doing more on the M chips, we're able to really up our game there. So that's kind of how I think about what we get out of it. And what does that look like to the common person? You know, Doug and I were talking about this before. There's smart editing, especially in you know Photoshop or photo tools, that you're now able to do things functionally that you know, a long time ago, we couldn't even dream about, or it used to be one of those things that you hit the button and you walked away for a couple minutes and you waited for the effect to show up and then you came back and maybe it was what you want and maybe it wasn't. But uh, the Photoshop feature of replacing the background, right, that the, the compute of being able to do something like that right on your system and seeing the effect within seconds is really something that's paramount to what the A&E does really, really well, right? And so I think about those things today are the ones we know. They're going to be some things in the future that we can't even dream of now, but that that compute is really well-suited for. And the fact that we have the APIs open for people to explore is going to be really exciting to see. And we're just seeing AI features um, throughout all the pro domains you know, photo, video, um, you know, animation. It's it's really inspiring, and 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 what you're able to do to help accelerate workflows and and, and make it creative, you know, faster. Um, there's obviously areas of you know things like content generation, which you know some people are, are very concerned with, very very respectfully so. Um, but I'm talking about tools that accelerate the the edits that I want to make, um, and uh, accelerate you know whether it be smart selection, object selection. Um, you know, animation tools. It's just just really inspiring how it can like accelerate those workflows and make you even more productive. Yeah, I think obviously the generation has gotten the most attention lately. It's very, it's so clear why it has. It's it just it's it's enormous to look at it. It really grabs your attention. But there are all these um, more nuanced things that I think are going to become more interesting, like you say. Um, and yeah, e- even just a good example. I can't wait for sort of the professionalization of some of these tools. Obviously, they are coming to some different Adobe uh, uh, apps, and as well as uh, you know, DaVinci Resolve is implementing some of this. But um, I just, I, I absolutely can't wait until there's you know, design tools with with this built in that allow me to you know, not only create a, a general mock-up, but uh, do font selection and like all of breaking it down and stuff that. Um, 
this this stuff is going to come very quickly and being able to do it locally instead of having to send it to the cloud is going to be huge and i think this year we are we already saw some big jumps of um first we thought things could only be done in the cloud and suddenly they're able to be able to be done locally on a mac which is i mean just had has been absolutely mind blowing and i'm sure we'll see more of it in the next year do you guys have any more sense on i don't know any any thoughts on where ai might be going in the near future well, I think the point that you just made, the speed at which this field and the implementation is changing is incredible, right? That we saw things like chat GPT coming online at the end of last year and just accelerating like nobody's business. So I expect as soon as we sort of see something, the next thing is coming before we even know it. So it's going gonna, it's gonna to come hard and fast. Another area of the SOC that I'm very interested in, I, th- I think a lot of people are for, for obvious reasons, but the, the media engine I think has been one area that has really propelled us forward. Um, it's sometimes hard to tell. Like when I'm using my computer, I don't know when it's handing things off to which part of the machine. But one of the just life-changing features that, that has really affected all video creators especially is that there's a lot of footage that we just could barely work with before, even on the top spec Intel machines, uh, especially, you know, a lot of H.265 footage or some raw footage would, you know, kind of chug even though... I, I didn't expect it to even even on some coming from some inexpensive cameras. Um, the, it, there was something that was kind of missing, and as we went to the to the M1 and now the M2, um, that stuff works a lot better. And I, I know something some of it has to do with the media engine, but um, similar to the neural engine, can you guys give me a bit of a rundown of what you've done there? How does it work? How is it helping me with my workflow? Yeah, I think Doug touched on it when we start with talking about customer experiences and the pro workflow teams or the people that we want to describe the types of experiences we want to be able to do on this hardware, right? Um, We'll start at that very top level because, of course, square millimeters on a chip are super, super precious, right? We have to decide how we're going to allocate that. And so that turns into a really holistic discussion between the hardware tech team, which is responsible for the chip architecture, the hardware engineering team, our team that does the system design, and then also the software team, as Doug mentioned, like going in and optimizing those software stacks to take advantage of the chip design. We're doing all of that sort of, I'll say picking and choosing, right? Or what do we want to prioritize together? So there's no one group off doing something individually. And the fact that we're doing custom-built and and purpose-built chips allows us to take something like video, right? And say, okay, what's the best way that we can design those transistors in the media engine to take advantage of encode, decode, et cetera, and really say doing this is important for the performance of especially an M2 Pro and an M2 Max. So I think that we're very well positioned now having this as part of our own SOC design versus having to go to somebody like Intel where they have their own set of both customers to satisfy and objectives that they want their chips to achieve. And they may not necessarily be exactly in line with what we're trying to provide in our overall system. So that part of it is just great for us because we're able to look at that whole set of things from top to bottom and and really hit on that customer experience. So that's the way that I think of it. And, And you mentioned it like doing work like video in a very efficient way and knowing that that chip is going to go into a laptop, you heard this last year with M1, but the performance both plugged in and on battery, we want to make 
both of those experiences great from our customers. So we are maniacal about making sure that when you're on battery, that that's as low of a power consumption or as efficient of, of a compute as we can make it so that you're able to take these devices out into the field and get, you know, the 16 or 22 hours of battery life that we're saying that you can now have on a mobile device. So we really, really focus on those things and say, like, we want to make sure that you can take this device, it can truly be mobile, and you don't have to compromise your workflow when you're out in the field versus in the studio. Yeah, and, and just to add on that, I mean, every every transistor we put in our chips is precious, and so to be able to make sure it it goes into service of the customer workload is really important to us. And I think the video the video capabilities of the media engine are really really powerful for two reasons. Um, one, on that power efficiency note, um, it's able to decode the, those videos. In the case of video editing, I mean, just playing back the video is table stakes. Like <laughs> to be able to, to even begin working with it, um, and to be able to do that at much lower power than say decoding that frame on the CPU. So that brings huge power efficiency. But from a creative perspective, it also keeps that CPU and GPU free to do the real work, right? The creative work, the, the effects, the overlays, the compositing, the, the, the things that you want to do creatively with the video, not just play it back, but do the edit uh, capabilities. And so it keeps those precious CPU and GPU resources available um, to, to do that really, that really great creative work. Yeah, is there, is there anything else you can tell me about what uh, is new with the M2 and how the media engine has been updated, been changed and improved since the M1 era? I think from, from the M2 perspective, the, the big change to the media engine is that we brought the ProRes codec uh, into it. So it already had amazing H.264 and HEVC encode and decode capabilities. So whether you're playing back web video or editing you know, DLSR footage in, in, a, in, a, in a video editor, um, already M1 had amazing capabilities, but now with ProRes capabilities brought to it, um, you know, you can bring that pro quality footage, whether it be from your iPhone or another camera, and just work with it seamlessly. And so, you know, M2 really raised the bar there. When we look at MacBook Pro and we look at M2 um, Pro and M2 Max, um, because the overall chip has gotten so much faster in so many different areas, while the core media engine blocks are, are the same uh, as the M1, um, the overall throughput's higher. So we're, we're seeing more streams of video playback. Um, you know, we're demoing like an insane amount of 8K streams uh, on on a M2 Max uh, MacBook Pro right now, and it's mind blowing to think you know the the, the number of pixels that we're throwing around. So, um, you know, amazing capabilities with these uh, latest MacBook Pros. Yeah, so I'm going to be testing one of these MacBook Pros soon. What what could you recommend I do to to really see it accelerate? Like, what's what's an exciting way that I could uh, run video through it and s- see how it performs? Um, well, I, you know, encourage you to throw everything you've got at it. Like, you know, bring in multiple streams of 4K and 8K. 8K raw. Um, absolutely. Um, you know, we've been really impressed um, with, uh, you know, particularly the raw codec capabilities for, for pro, pros. Um, you know, uh, whether it be, you know, Canon or Airy Raw uh, in DaVinci Resolve, whether it be Red Raw and Final Cut, you name, name your favorite codecs. Uh, performance is just, you know, really stunning. Um, I'm also just really blown away the the encode times for time to delivery, right? So you finish your project, well, you still got to encode it for final delivery um, and taking advantage of uh, the hardware media engine for for the encoding times, I think is just really stellar as well. I, as I've uh, uh, I've been kind of using Resolve a little more for some of my finishing, so I'll edit in Final Cut and move over to Resolve to like apply some more advanced effects and things. And that's where I've been like excited by things that I just, like I say, I wouldn't attempt it before because... I have a pretty quick workflow and you have to have pretty quick turnaround. And I was like, you know what? I, 
I don't have time to mess around with this stuff. Like the, the tracking is going to take so long and the noise review removal is going to slow down the export so much. And now I'm like, well, you know, may, maybe I can take this project a little bit further than I could before. So um, I, I guess thanks, thanks to you guys. Uh, I, I really appreciate <laughs> being able to, to push it like that. And obviously you guys, uh, hopefully you've had, <laughs> had some time to use the new MacBook Pros as well. You guys are both professionals in your own ways. Do you have any interesting things that it's done for you? Like how has it been uh, just using these machines? Yeah, I, I mean, I'll, I'll just jump in. I, um, you know, very fortunate to to be able to play with the latest hardware. So, um, you know, love love my job. <laughs> um, I, I, you know, personally, I I, I I shoot a lot of photography. Um, I, I'm more of a photographer than a video editor. Um, I, I have the pleasure to shoot a lot of um, uh, youth sports, and so, you know, I'll, I'll come back from a you know, say for example, a, a national volleyball tournament with, you know, maybe 20,000 shots over a couple days and to be able to have the performance to whip through these um, images, you know, raw images. I, I shoot raw, so I have the latitude to correct um, and make adjustments and uh, just to be able to whip through these images for time to delivery. Um, you know, sports ages really fast. You know, people want to see their photos right away. Uh, you know, a, a big championship game is a lot less interesting a week later than an hour after it happens. And so that time to delivery and, um, you know, the amazing battery life, um, my last big, big shoot, um, I literally edited the, the, practically the whole, uh, shoot waiting for my plane in the airport, uh, all on battery. And it's just stunning to be able to, to do that. Um, something I wouldn't even thought about, you know, two years ago before Apple Silicon. So, um, you know, these, these machines are a dream for photography and video. Not to mention that built-in SD card reader. <laughs> That's right. There you go. <laughs> I'm a little bit behind, Doug. My my kids' uh, sports season has just started. One of my kids, or both of my kids, play ultimate frisbee, and so I was just last weekend in uh, Southern California shooting uh, youth sports as well. I actually took my iPad with me last weekend, so I used an M2 iPad. And now, you know, that we can sort of take our hardware out on the road uh, on the Mac side, I can do the same thing and download my. Uh, ultimate photos and really this, like you said, the, the sporting, um, timeline is really short. The kids and the parents want the photos as quickly as possible. So getting editing out and, and posted quickly is, is obviously a key thing. So be looking forward. We have another tournament coming up in a couple of weeks. So I'll have my MacBook with me there. So as I make recommendations to you know, listeners here and viewers on YouTube about, you know, which computer might be best suited for them, um, how do you guys think about that? Like, do you have any kind of general advice in guiding people towards when it's when it's appropriate for them to use a MacBook Air versus a Pro? Um, I don't know. Are there just any thoughts you have on how to choose which Mac is right for you? Yeah, I, I mean, uh, in some ways, there's no wrong answer. I think you know we're really we uh, have the pleasure to be able to say we have an amazing product line, and in some ways, it can't go wrong. But you know, when we look at MacBook Air, it, it, it's really the you know. Um, you know, it's our go where every everyday everyday notebook. It's just this amazing platform. It's it's light, it's incredibly portable, and with M2 in it now, it's it's just incredibly performant. So you can throw quite a lot of workload at it and have a great experience. Obviously, when you step up into MacBook Pro, um, with the way Apple Silicon works, you get a big jump in CPU and GPU and memory bandwidth. So going you know from 100 to 200 gigabytes a second improves your throughput um, as you start to look at you know more professional, higher quality, higher throughput capabilities, particularly in the video domain, um, you're going to see some nice improvements there. And of course, you know, looking at the, the, the M2 Max, big boost in GPU performance. So 
when you're really pushing the, the capabilities of the GPU, you're looking for that larger memory footprint. Um, that's really where the MT Max really shines in, in the MacBook Pro. I think, too, there's a really simple and obvious one if you need the additional ports. You mentioned the SD card. Or if you need HDMI to hook up that 8K display, of course, you're going to be more on the side of choosing the Pro products versus the Airs. As we mentioned earlier, let's not forget the amazing display in the MacBook Pro. So whether you want to shoot HDR or just sit back and watch HDR in between, you know, from your hotel room, uh, some amazing content um, streaming as well, uh, that display is stellar. Um, and so... Um, that's one of the things I really love about my MacBook Pro is just that amazing display. Yeah, it, it's definitely my go-to display if I just want to know what something really looks like. It's the best place that I'm going to see it. Um, and yeah, I, I would also second that. Thinking about um, all of the ports is, is really significant. I think some people can sometimes almost take it for granted or just think like, uh, you know, HDMI or SD card reader, like I can buy those externally, you know, I can find adapters. Um, it is really wonderful having those built in because it means... You don't have to worry about a flaky Amazon accessory that becomes your bottleneck that you didn't realize, or, uh, you know, you can just go out there with less accessories in your bag and know that it's going to work. And not to mention that the MagSafe frees up one of the USB ports. I definitely uh, kind of push people towards it that would appreciate those. Um, not to mention the amount of displays that it can run, which can, can you guys remind me how, how many displays can I run off of the new MacBook Pros? Uh, two on, on the M2 uh, Pro based systems and, um, up to four on um, the M2 Max uh, systems. Perfect. Um, well, I think that's uh, all the questions I had, and I really appreciate your guys' time. So thanks again for joining me. Well, I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. It's always really fun being able to talk to folks from Apple that actually know what's going on. I mean, with all of the hype and rumors and excitement that comes around an Apple release, it's always interesting seeing the people that worked behind the scenes on it. Like there's actual real people that, that build these. They don't just uh, appear on our desks out of nowhere. So I really appreciate the time from both Kate and Doug being able to spend that time with me, answer all these questions, and hopefully it was helpful for you guys and makes you, uh, you know, better understand where your computers come from. So if you want to hear more conversations with Apple executives, I talked to Kyan Drance. She's the one that announces the iPhone on stage every year and a few camera engineers in past episodes. So you can check out episode 121 and 111 of the Stallman podcast. Um, there's a lot of good stuff there, I promise. So thanks again for listening, guys, um, and uh, watching. If you don't already know, there is a YouTube channel. This uh, Stallman podcast is the name of it, so just Google it and you'll find it. And that's it.